Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. It took seven days. It took a certain duration of time. And it took faithfulness on the part of everyone, everyone in Israel, to follow the command to be silent until the command to shout was given. They followed the orders of God given to Joshua precisely as was spoken. If they circled even up to six days and didn't do it the seventh day, it wouldn't have happened. It's important for us to press in and pray diligently, earnestly and continue and continue and continue until what God promises manifested itself. They believed in the God of the impossible. They carried out what he said, knowing that humanly, circling an enemy wall so formidable, so strong, impenetrable, and shouting could not bring it down. There are those I've heard over the years who tried to explain it scientifically that is an observation resulting from supernatural intervention. But explain it scientifically as a natural cause for the wall to come down. This utter nonsense. Inasmuch as anyone can explain the opening of the Red Sea by a mere natural cause, man can attempt to explain the supernatural as far as its results are concerned, in some way that is understandable scientifically, but there's a difference, a great difference between establishing a scientific cause to understanding scientific observation of a supernatural cause. Cause and effect are not to be confused. For example, a scientist can explain sound energy, vibrational factors, all kinds of things with a multitude of people shouting at the same time the intensity of it. and still come up short to find such a defense broken down by human shouts. They can attempt to explain the Red Sea. The waters may have been pushed back by forces of wind, the direction the force of a mighty wind but they can't explain the cause they can't explain a natural cause it was God who did it it was supernatural because the people were told simply to follow Moses who was instructed to lift up the staff and stretch out his hand The people of Joshua's day, the believers, 
We're told to circle for seven days the enemy, enemy's fortress, and then shout when the signal is given. We're called to do certain things by God, which not only appear counterintuitive, but absolutely of no value to effect a breakthrough in our lives. We can understand it most readily that it's supernatural when we're called to pray. Prayer is not just meditation, communication of one's passion and thoughts. It's a connection with the God who can do the impossible. The Lord asked Jeremiah and so Judah and everyone, is anything too hard for the Lord? Nothing. It's too hard for the Lord. Bless of his name. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe. When she had received the spies with peace. Who is it that didn't believe? All of Jericho, except Rahab and the people that came to trust in the refuge of God's commandment. God's commandment to save them came through the spies. Stay in this house. So God gives commandment to stay in his house, stay in his presence. The enemy is the one who woos and deceives, even with a religious spin, to take people away from God's presence. There are many houses, many houses labeled as supernatural, many houses in this world labeled as the ticket to happiness, Many houses, even labeled as the house of God, but they're whole lies. They're not the genuine thing. God's people stray from his house, which equals his presence. El Bethel, as the name of our ministry is called, is El, God, Bethel, of the house of God. If the God of the house of God is not there, it no longer is the house of God because he's not there. For all intensive purposes, it has effectively ceased to be the house of God. So any place, any house, any church where God is not honored, where holiness is not desired and practiced, God cannot live there. Therefore, no matter what title it has as a house of God or church or fellowship, mission, it's fake. Rahab's house in that day was the ark to save any native of Jericho from destruction. Her house, because her house became the house of God. How? She became a traitor, as we heard yesterday, to her own nation, which was steeped in evil. And she crossed over to the other side way before she crossed the physical borders of Jericho and sided with the Israelites and migrated, moved with them. She crossed over to God's house in her heart by faith. 
she embraced the gospel. The gospel of her day was believe in the God of Israel, which means surrender your life to him and obey him, follow him. That's what believe means. It means to follow God. Nobody else believed in her own whole country, whole nation, whole city-state. No one else in Jericho believed except Rahab and her relatives who chose to come into her house on that critical day when the wrath of God was unleashed against that city, against that nation. Believing means that we actually embrace what God commanded. And what more shall I say Verse 32, For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah. Samson had a not-too-glorious past before he died. But he ended well. By God's grace, he ended well in the sense that although he suffered the consequence of his own sin and pride, in false assumption that God was with him when he was not. Although God did mighty wonders through him, unlike any other person, lifting up city gates, slaying so many Philistines single-handedly because the Spirit of God came upon him. He may have been able to lift tons, which is humanly impossible, no matter what conditioning one does, the human frame, no matter what size, is a limitation. But it's the Spirit of God that caused him to tear a lion, a fierce lion that tried to attack him, came against him, as he would tear a little lamb. Nobody can stop him. He was the Superman of his day. But he presumed upon God's grace and kept disobedience, his close friend. One day, it caught up to him. And he ventured out thinking God was with him. God would give him victory. He probably turned on his praise and worship in the morning before he went out to serve God and to serve idols. This is the phrase that's used of the Israelites. In one sentence, they serve the Lord, they fear the Lord and serve their idols, or fear the idols. How can, he, how can one be in the light and in the darkness at the same time? It was written to show the hypocrisy and the self-deception of the people of God who seek to do what God says partially or not at all and serve the idols the rest of the time or completely. It's a deception. Samson thought, I'll put on my praise and worship in the morning. I'll shout victory, hallelujah, or hallelujah, whatever people like to say, or hallelujah. And he thought, I have all the string of victories. Nobody can stop me. It's me and my God. Maybe he had a t-shirt that says, God's got this. It's me and my God. Nobody, No Philistine has ever withstood me. And I'm going to do it again today. 
No one can stop me. But that day, the Bible says in the book of Judges, he wist not in the old King James, I believe, he did not realize God was not with him. And he fell into the hands of a woman who enticed him and tricked him and took away his strength very easily. And so the devil will do to anyone who presumes upon God's grace and continues to do their own thing while loving God and loving Jesus. To try to be a co-God with God, to be a co-pilot with God, is disaster and deception. Absolute deception. Absolute disaster. He suffered miserably for that. He lost his eyes. He was mocked. He was pushed around. He went through intense pain at every level until he finally cried to God, Lord, there's a repentance, a genuine repentance. And God heard his cry and he restored his strength, his anointing, although it didn't play out the way it should have all his life. At the end, he turned back to God. But that's no guarantee. It's a major problem with false interpretation. People look at the prodigal son's life or look at Samson's life and Things say, well, it happened for him, and that's my example. So I can play in the land of sin, and I'll come back to God. Because after all, doesn't it say somewhere that he who began a good work in you will say, see it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ? That my Father is greater than me, and no one can pluck my disciples, my sheep. No one can pluck you out of my Father's hand. Doesn't it say if God before us, who can be against us? doesn't say through the mouth of the Lord Jesus himself that he that believes on me has crossed from death to life. All these verses on eternal security, Samson could have written a book on it because he took everything out of context. He presumed upon God's grace. People today continue to do that and preach that. Once saved, always saved. But there are many people, unlike Samson, who never recovered because they believe the lie that I can mock God and I'll escape because I have grace until the end comes. And that's when they realize God was, was not with me and he didn't take me back. Does God have the right to reject his own people? Absolutely. Because he's a God of holiness. That's why we read in Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10 in our studies, whoever despises and this, uh, brings despite or scorns and tramples underfoot the blood of the covenant and the Son of God. It says it's a very fearful thing. God's wrath will come against that person. Not love, but wrath. How did Pharaoh's heart get hardened? Someone asked the question, why did God ever harden Pharaoh's heart? Why did he give over to the devil certain people 
even among his own. In the case of Corinthians, there's a man who did evil, very immoral, even to the point that the heathen were not practicing that same level of immorality and brazen, reckless, blatant disobedience to God. And Paul says, give that person over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his soul may be saved. It's not a guarantee, it's a conditional promise. Just like the prodigal son, just like Samson, had to come back and say, Lord, I failed you so miserably. And I'm not going to sing some satanic lullaby to myself. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. While in sin, I have to leave sin, come to you humbly. Repenting and asking for forgiveness, just like the prodigal son, just like Samson. And then I can have an assurance that God will take me back, but who knows how much time anyone has. That's why it's written today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Repent. Come to God. Do the right thing again. Shun the evil. Reject that which is evil. Consider the crown that's laid up for everyone who's righteous. Everyone who does God's will. What more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson. Samson's included here because he had a thorough repentance. Otherwise God wouldn't have heard his prayer at the end to restore his strength to defeat the enemies. How important it is for us to teach ourselves and teach our children, our grandchildren, whoever God brings to us, to tell them don't play with fire. God is a consuming fire. Samson didn't have to have his eyes put out. He didn't have to die with his enemies that day. It's important, not even so much as to read between the, li- between the lines here. It's very clear in the book of Judges what happened. And to read scripture as it is, the eternal security ascribed to anyone who's disobedient, no matter who they are, it could be the high priest of Israel's day. It could be a prophet. It could be a preacher, an evangelist. It can be anyone, any Christian today. To guarantee eternal security to such an individual that is disobedient to God is to preach a false gospel. Is to side with the father of lies who has concocted his alternate counterfeit gospel which can never save, it will take a person to hell. But to be clear to preach to ourselves and other people you're only safe so as long as you obey. That's the truth. Since when does anyone who's disobedient make it to heaven? It's impossible. That would mean that God would be a liar. That he's not really holy as he said. And heaven is not a holy place. As someone said, it's not a garbage can. Anybody who does anything rotten can just come right in because of grace. No, they have to be transformed. And reject that which they were before. And assume a new walk altogether. Of fearing God and doing what he said. 
not to be deluded with some white serpent theology. Who said you're going to die? Why can't you partake in these festivals? Down south or up north or across the world? Isn't it fun? Look at the masks they wear. Look at the dances. Look at the celebration, the colors, the lights. Oh, look at that one. Oh, that's a little racy over there. Look at this one. What place does a Christian have to do with the filth of this world and the demonic deception, the flaunting of the flesh, shamelessness? You mentioned recently in one of our studies that the degree of shame or what is defined by shame is shaped often for the Christian by culture, cultural standards, by their own opinion. So one says, I can wear a skirt or shorts or a blouse this length, and beyond that, oh, that's really bad. Another person who's righteous comes along and says, you call yourself a Christian, and this is what you consider bad? Your standard is so low. It's just like the world. What's the difference? Oh, no, no, no. I know some people in the world will do this. Is that your comparison? To look at the lowest in society and say, I'm a, a step better than them, so I'm okay, I'm holy. And we come to Jesus, as I mentioned about the serpent yesterday, even had a snake, having a snake as a pet. There are many implications to that. It's one thing to study it as a scientist. It's another thing to keep it as a pet. And so, there was an era and a generation that said, you have to dress in the Victorian context. Women need to cover themselves from right below the jaw all the way down to the soles of the feet. Be stuffed and artificially burdened with so many different layers of garment and certain shapes and all. Just completely... making it grotesque in itself in the name of decency. There's another extreme where the less the better because it highlights the human beauty. That's what the Greeks did. They came down to the bare essentials quite quickly. Mankind celebrates that which is shameful. You see, when sin came, the innocence was lost. There's a reason why God himself made clothing for Adam and Eve. No matter what culture it is, whether man or woman, when their culture affords indecency, indecency and shamefulness as a celebration, provocative dressing and dances, ritualistic, cultural many demonic elements have you checked your culture Christian no matter what race or ethnic background what elements in what you came from and what your people do have demonic overt tones in it not even undertones or covert So for the believer who is close with Jesus, instantly they'll know, I'm in danger of God leaving me, I better be careful. I can see the snare of Satan a mile away. 
the way he wants me to dress and talk and the things he wants me to embrace everything is a perversion how will we ever know what god thinks and what he feels unless we really understand his word and stay in god's presence it's written of japanese people who immigrated to hawaii i remember hearing this in school years ago who had a rather good diet and their blood chemistry and their nutritional analysis everything showed very uh, high level of fitness and i heard they came to i don't recall if it was hawaii or alaska but it seemed that somehow the children started eating candy bars of these immigrants and they went from one extreme of a level of fitness to a dangerous extreme very quickly everything changed how did it happen for generations my genes are good the dna i have a great hereditary stock from which i come from but everything got twisted and went upside down and south if i may say what happened environmental factors don't be deceived if you spend time with the media of this world you will become changed if you spend time with lukewarm christians guess what it will affect you there's no question unless you are immunized against that stuff and that folly of twisting god's word and thinking we're okay i'm saved i'm blessed and i'm serving god and i can't wait for the big day when i can serve god and the gifts that god's given me i'm shooting for that and just be drowned in lies while going far away from god like samson did but when a person repents there's great hope because god is a god of love and mercy he doesn't stop being a god of justice but mercy and truth have met each other and the judgment is averted and god restores a person to their senses just like in james chapter 5 just like the prodigal son because somebody came along and told them you can't live like this no matter what you say that i'm judging you and all that you have to answer to god i want to tell you light and darkness don't mix where are you are you living in the light oh yes i love jesus don't tell me you love jesus when you're not obeying his commandments jesus said you don't love me if you don't do my commandments who be who be willing to stand up for the truth and live right lovingly warn others that's really being our brother's keeper jephthah he made a rash vow these things are written here not only to show their faith but some of them their mistakes how to avoid that because whereas they escaped by repentance those same mistakes if we do them we may be bound to our own destruction so we are always called to emulate and imitate the good and not the bad to be aware where samson failed and say i'm not going that route 
I'm not risking my eternity. It's like some people say, well, my grandmother smoked till till she was 95. And so I'm going to do the same thing, take a chance. Gamble with your life? Well, my uncle drank every day so many quarts of liquor. As healthy as a horse. Well, he can cut those trees and build log cabins and outdoors all day and eat a whole stack of pancakes with all the syrup he desired. He was the strongest in our clan. That's what the devil will do. He won't surely die. Think about it. He had great genes. And look at so-and-so. Now, what we need to look at is what God said, because if we don't follow what God said, we will die. David. He could have gone to hell, even in spite of the great promise God made him. Because the Bible says categorically, and David is not an exception, every adulterer will not only not not make it to heaven, they will certainly land in hell. 1 Corinthians 6, Galatians 5. Ephesians 5. Don't be deceived. Oh, you're a churchgoer? You're a believer? If you're an extortioner, you're not making it to heaven. Read the scriptures. If you are a railer, you like to argue and wrangle about and raise your voice and shout, you're not making it to heaven. Read the scriptures. These are defined enlisted, enumerated very clearly by the Holy Spirit. If you behave like that, no matter what kind of Christian you think you are, no matter how much you serve God, you're not making it to heaven. If you're a drunkard, you're not making it to heaven. David was an adulterer and a murderer. He was not making it to heaven until he genuinely repented. God is not mocked. He doesn't uh, all of a sudden lower his standard for some people who are his favorites. We must remember, he's the almighty God. He's awesome. And when he judges people who are defiant and blasphemous and apostate and who lie to themselves, when they actually play their own God, but they say, I love Jesus, God's wrath hangs on them. They may be walking every day, being deluded a little more, a little more, a little more, like Samson. And one day think that, you know what? I feel great. I'm strong as ever. I'm going to go and play God one more time. And that's when they realize God was not with them and they get slaughtered by the devil. We need to look at these people and not only learn about their faith that helped them to overcome, but where they would have lost it all. Make sure we don't fall into that pit. Make sure we don't use that rather silly and deadly excuse. Well, David fell and he recovered, therefore I will recover, even though I'm playing with sin. I don't like this word because it's very judgmental. 
the devil will whisper in somebody's ears and they will echo that and say, that's right. It is judgmental. That pastor, those people, they're so judgmental. That church is a judgmental church. I'm going to go and find me a place where I'm comfortable and they will tell me how nice I look and how anointed I am. They will tell you that. Because their definition of anointing is you roll with the pigs. And you can sing praise with the pigs. You're anointed. We have to depart from iniquity and sin and filth because God doesn't change the standards. He's a holy God from eternity to eternity. No one is exempt from obedience if they want to make it to God's heaven. Samuel. Now there's someone who we can look to as an example where he had a blameless life. To look closely, he was not a compromiser. He could not be tempted and be drawn in to immorality. He publicly declared his own righteousness by the grace of God that he was not a lover of money. He could have exercised his authority and gotten a lot of stuff, but he refused. He was a righteous man. And at the very end of his life, he was able to tell Israel and call God to witness. In effect, like Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the prince of this world cometh, the devil, and he has nothing in me. I have none of his stuff in me. Nothing. That's the kind of person we need to emulate. Now, we might say, well, I have a sordid past, and even until recently, I'm so condemned because I know that I have been following God. There's hope when we come clean before God and say, Lord, I can't afford to gamble with my soul. I need to know your standard and stick by it and flock with people who know who you are and love you and serve you by how? Departing from sin. Let it be made clear. Serving God is not ministering to other people, telling them Jesus loves you and passing out tracts and preaching to them and praying for them before separating from everything in this wicked world. That's where serving God starts. When that's not there and somebody tries to do the latter, or it should be the latter thing, or the fulfillment or fruit of a life that is obedient to God by fearing God and shunning or eschewing evil like Job did, like Noah did, have nothing to do with the dance of this world, the music of this world, the culture of this world. As I mentioned before, on at least one occasion, there are pastors. I went to a church in Manhattan on the east side, a rather upscale area by the world standards. There's a denominational church which attracted, as it was actually situated on a college campus there, hundreds of people, many, many youngsters who were young uh, Wall Street people and young people in the scientific community, Orientals and Caucasians and African Americans and 
Spanish people, you name it. It was just amazing to see all those people. And the pastor talked about God's righteousness and the orthodox doctrine. He talked about salvation by faith, by grace, apart from our works. He talked about all of the orthodox doctrines and but he would bring in things from Star Wars and this book and maybe Harry Potter and different things and and people just loved it. You see, they came to church and they came in their shorts and different things and they just had their legs crossed and different positions. They came, it was fun and afterwards they had the coffee time and books over there on the shelves and I I just saw very little fruit, if any, for a season. Because it was very much like going to a, a, a bookstore where you can just kind of browse through different things and get a kick out of this and oh look at that great information and look that's high tech high tech this is a cutting edge while the pastor was an all rounder he can talk about politics he can talk about Hollywood he can talk about in very scholarly language too he can well, he had the crowd and he's very popular to this day. In fact, many consider him a theologian. What attracts people to the such things? The standard of God is twisted into something else. And it's okay if you're not holy. God is not going to come to your house and say, now show me your DVDs and let me see your collection of films. Sure, you shouldn't have anything really, really pornographic now. You know, that's the no-no. We've been saved out of this filth. But you can have PG-rated movies and R-rated movies and all kinds of things, even movies that are not rated. And God understands. You see, you need to be well-versed in this culture. How in the world are you going to reach a culture unless you study the culture and even taste some of that culture? How diabolical. No wonder. The Lord said to certain people in Revelation, you think you're rich, but you're poor. You think you're alive, you're actually dead. You're naked, you're destitute, you're wretched, you're miserable. This is what Jesus said to his church. Certain people. You think you're all that, but you're not anything. You're the opposite. I'm about to vomit you out. Look in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and uh, we need to emulate those who had an exemplary life, who didn't defect, who didn't buy the lie that many people spread today in the churches and many ministers in the radio and in person, in books, seminars, conferences. Oh, you got men and women. There's a young lady, rather young, probably in her 30s or 40s. I happened to listen to recently because someone that we pray for is frequenting that uh, ministry. And I wanted to know what it is that they're listening to. And as I mentioned recently about another preacher that I was led to listen to by the Spirit of God, exactly where he blasphemed the Holy Spirit. To know exactly what that was about, that this person was going to. 
I was horrified, but that's not the effect that most people are accustomed to having when they see things that are blasphemous. And this uh, other lady who leads this particular ministry with her spouse, she probably spent a good 15 minutes, maybe between 10 and 15 minutes, talking in a very crass way, very disgusting way about a very disgusting thing evoking laughter and it was a conference about how to be a lover of Jesus and lead churches and you don't have to go to Bible school And no you don't have to go to Bible school but you have to have a level of decency in fearing God and being holy and the words she was using to illustrate a point was seductive to all the men. This is the state of a lot of the church today. And it becomes a laughing matter. Where the Holy Spirit's grieved. He's not there. How could he be there if someone's glorifying disgusting things? I hope you had a good lunch. Because I know you won't be hungry now thinking about food when I speak. A lot of chitter-chatter and then introduce the filthy stuff. The verse immediately came to mind as I heard that brief segment of this so-called ministry that's having great revival today. So-called revival. God only knows. I don't know the rest of it, but I know this much. I know when the Spirit of God is grieved because the Word of God is clear of what nature God is, of what nature. What is disgusting to Him is very clear in the Bible. It doesn't take a scholar to find that out. And then we have an option whether to believe God and go His direction or to say, mm, I'll modify that. I think it's not really what it means. After all, doesn't the end justify the means? No. Not always. Lord, but somebody got saved. Look, my friend got saved. Even though I took them into doing a little drugs and I hung out with them in the bar, I did drink a little bit with them, Lord. And we did watch some things that we should, and we did speak in a certain way. But they got saved in the end. Yeah, David made it in the end, Samson, but does it mean that they were justified in everything they did in their life? No. Could they have lost everything? Yes. Need to be careful to follow God every step of the way. And uh, many people today do what they think they can do whatever they want and paint God however they like. And no wonder you have a crowd of people. Genuine revival will generate crowds, but it will be for a season. Because this world will only support and fund long-term that which suits them. Heap up teachers suit their engineers. The book of Hebrews chapter 11 is a study not only of faith but of holiness, obedience, 
in the study of a consistent life and the danger of presuming upon God's grace as illustrated by Samson's life and even David's life. They repented, the ones who sinned, and God forgave. And that's the great gospel of God's grace. When genuine repentance is there, which means a person leaves living with the pigs to come to the Father's house and be clean again. Say, Father, I'm so sorry. I sinned against heaven. I sinned against you. I'm not even worthy to come to your house. That's the humility that God's looking for. Not, I know I can be restored and God's about restoration and everything is cheap grace, you see. And that's why they go back again into the world. And there's a cycle. Nobody has the guts and nobody has the loyalty to God to say, stop. You're believing in a false gospel if you think you can sin forever and God will take you back. No, it's not going to happen. You're in danger of losing your soul. Repent thoroughly. And for these people, such as David and Samson, you don't see any mention of this sin here at all. God recorded what they did for us to be warned. And we're reminded as we go through this list, how did they arrive finally in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11? How did they end well? They were disgusted by their own sins to the point where they abandoned the sins. That's how they got here. The only way. They cooperated finally with God's grace. Hallelujah. So there's hope. There's hope that a person who's dirty as dirty can get can become clean as clean can get by the pure grace of God. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, how gracious God is. I thank God for God's grace on my life and I hope you do too. To the point that you fear the Lord and say, Lord, I can't blow this. I can't afford to Treat you cheap anymore, Lord. I'm not going to be a co-pilot. You are the only pilot. Lead me, my Father. Lead me, Lord. The grace of God can erase your past by heaven's record. It can take a person to actually become a mighty instrument of God greatly loved of God but the standard is holiness these are the people who through faith subdued kingdoms not because they shouted verses but because they believed enough to obey God. They worked, notice, righteousness. And people look at David's life, the way he ended, even Samson's life. There's a demonstration of tremendous power, power of God in his life, because he repented. And that's why he's in the hall of faith, and we can look to Samson's example as great hope for anyone who's bitterly sorry for their wickedness against a holy God. Church people, born-again people, 
who come back to God, God embraces, just like in the prodigal son story. There's no judging there. You know why? They judge themselves, just like it's written in the book of Corinthians. If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Repentance attracts God's mercy to the point where His mercy overtakes any judgment. But repentance is what leads to righteousness. The obtained promises stop the mouths of lions, quench the violence of fire, escape the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the invaders, the foreigners, the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. It's a promise, the New Year's prophecy. There are conditions. It's not automatic because we're not robots. We're not animals. We're just an instinctive circuitry built in. We're made in the image of the Almighty God with a free will to make a choice to love God and follow Him. And those who believe in God to that extent will have miracles in their lives. At the same time, others were tortured. And look at their boldness, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. They had such a level of faith that caused them to surrender everything and even go through more torture for the kingdom of God's sake laying down their lives so that others may live which is exactly what Esther has come into at such a young age because she said and the Lord is bringing this verse to mind greater love has no man than this that a man should lay down his life for his brother for another she specifically prayed when she perceived that God says there's going to be labor pains and suffering. She said, Lord, let it fall on me because I can't bear to see others suffer. There's a greater purpose. And here it says, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. They were able to see beyond this life so crystal clear that they saw there's going to be a greater reward when I go all the way with Jesus. And the Spirit of God prompts me, I'm going to obey. I'm not looking to be a hero in the eyes of man. I'm looking to be a faithful servant in the eyes of God. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings. When was the last time you got hit in the face? Maybe accidentally. just simply stunned with the force sometimes we're so frail tripping and falling having a door slam on your finger or in your face just turning suddenly and getting hurt the pain the sting that comes and what about when people do it deliberately you're getting pounded brutal for what for righteousness sake 
being mocked. There goes that Christian. Not being allowed to drink from a water fountain on a hot day in Pakistan. Being treated as the filth of the earth when you're righteous and loving and a law-abiding citizen. Pushed away from a water fountain because you're considered unclean. Why? Because you're a Christian. Mocking. Being mocked. Can't even get water? What do I do? Oh, you can't get any rights over there like here and get a group behind you and yell human rights. Very difficult. And what are we suffering for Christ's sake? What are we complaining about? My boss looked at me wrong because he saw my Jesus loves you bumper sticker. And I got a grade of a C or a D because my professor found out as a Christian. Being tortured, mocked, in chains, imprisonment. They were stoned. They were cut in half. Literally. Were tempted, tried, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. They were considered useless and hopeless and the filth of the world. But God records the world was not worthy of them. What's our standard? What are we living for and what do we esteem? Do we esteem the things that God esteems? They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, they should not be made perfect apart from us. This salvation through Jesus Christ, the tasting of a better covenant, and all that God has given through the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, they didn't know about it. They didn't receive that, but they were looking forward. But God has included us You can go from being dirty from the gutter most to be the uttermost to the uttermost height. You mean you can come at the last hour of the day and get the same reward as those who toiled in the heat of the day? Isn't that the most amazing thing? God would include us in His grace to be in the same family of such heroes of the faith. And we get to partake and they were held off until Jesus came and that we together should be made perfect together with these noble, the most noblest people in the face of the earth, God's people who suffered for His namesake. 
they didn't time, have time to sin. Spending hours of, on how their hair looks and what they can do to look better. All these things that are, after all, trivial. Perhaps it's time the Christians reduce their time on focusing on the externals. I didn't say neglect it, but keep it in the right place. And what is the right place and how much time should I spend? God will show us if we have the desire to say, Lord, will you move in, Lord, to my schedule? Show me if 45 minutes is a good amount of time to spend on my nails. Is it right by you, Lord? Three hours on my hair, is it right? Or 50 minutes or 5 hours with uh, secular media. Is it right? Why not ask the Lord? He'll show us. He's a good God. And then we'll see that He will increase and we will decrease. I don't know what the standard is with regards to time on the things that you spend time on. But I know for myself when I went to the Lord, He showed me things had to be rearranged. I don't spend any time in my nails other than to cut it, but it takes maybe a minute or two, a couple of minutes. But in other things, whatever it is, over the years, that is, even spending time reading Christian books and theology and or being up on the news over the years, even if it was a short time, God will show you he will show you, for you, what is best for your soul. And that's the focus. That's why these people were able to walk with Jesus Christ, walk with God, and suffer for righteousness' sake, and obtain a better resurrection. We're looking forward to a better resurrection. There's a life that we can live as we close. It is on a totally different plane. If we want to mature, we need to go to God and stop crying. Stop venting and complaining. And just speak one word to the Lord. Please show me, Lord. How I should live. What I should spend my money on. How I should spend my time. So that everything is really pointing toward building a kingdom and magnifying your name. How I should conduct myself and carry myself. As we spoke yesterday, the dignity, Lord, of not only being a human being, unlike the animals who don't wear any clothing, but as a Christian, as a part of a holy nation, Being a member of the chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a special treasure to you. Faith and holiness go together. Faith and repentance go together. And faith is something from another world, another kingdom. So that it is opposite to the value system of this kingdom, of this world, 
whose prince and chief is Satan. And Satan is very comfortable in most churches, even as we heard last evening. Very comfortable. Make sure you're not comfortable with the devil and his standards. And shouldn't we aspire? Because God's story is not completed. Each one of us has our story recorded in heaven. Will we be in a Hebrews chapter 11 of what God is recording? No matter the past. I can come now, perhaps at the last hour, and claim my crown, claim a seat with God's holy people if I utterly am disgusted by my compromise in the past and say, Lord, I'm so sorry. Oh, Lord, I hate what I did. I hate the choices I made. I'm so sorry, Lord. I twisted your word. I was part of the people who twisted your word. And I painted you other than what you really are. I want to be just like you, Lord. I'm all in, Lord. Change me. I need an overhaul from the Holy Spirit. Oh, Jesus. And help me, Lord, to mingle in fellowship with those who really fear you and love you who are profitable in your kingdom, Lord, to expand your kingdom. And they know what time it is, that the Savior is coming very soon, getting ready excitedly as a bride, about to be married, a holy bride. So help us, God. I pray in Jesus' name, Father, help each one of us to make sure we end up in the hall of faith with you. When the Son of Man returns, he says, shall he find faith? Will he find faith on the earth? Help us to be among the people who say, yes, Lord. You're going to find it in me, Lord, because I have made a clear-cut separation from the filth of this world, from the compromisers, from the gray areas and wanting to camp on the periphery of the separating boundary between your kingdom and the world's kingdom. No, I'm in the center of your will, Lord. I want to be holy and righteous and upright, Lord. I don't want to seek to do things, Lord, and be all about me and what I can show and what I can demonstrate and how I, I can inspire people to follow God. Let that satanic self-focus, even a religious white serpent type of focus, be slain. I want to be humble. I want you to be seen and heard in my life. So I can be in the Hall of Faith with these heroes magnify you, first of all, make it to heaven. And then even obtain a better resurrection, Lord, by paying the price. Because I counted the cost. I pay the price, I'll reap the reward. Thank you, Lord. Father, help these things to work in us. To be people, Lord, who will attract others to absolute surrender to Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Help us to apply each one of us what we heard today. And as we heard yesterday evening, to begin to put into practice. That we may be doers of the word, not hearers only. People who are building their house on a solid foundation. And our house will stand when every other house falls. They belong to people who heard you but never bothered to do what you said. Thank and praise you, Lord, for victory through the blood of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Oh, Lord, your healing, I pray, pour out upon your people to heal of backsliding and spiritual blindness, 
and to heal the bodies, minds. We need you, Lord. We thank you for coming to us in Jesus' name and saving us in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. In connection with Hebrews 11, Isaiah 30, 21. The word that we hear this morning, the word that we hear every morning, every evening, the word that we hear in church, what the Spirit of God gives, that word will guide you. It will speak to you. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. So whatever we're doing, the word that we're storing up like the ants, it'll be there to guide us when the next decision comes, next choice comes, next uh, temptation comes, next suggestion comes from anyone. The word that you hear from the Spirit of God will make you stop right there and question, is this what God wants? And it will become a pattern in your life where holiness will become your standard. And furthermore, verse 22, Isaiah 30, 22, you will also defile the covering of your images of silver and the ornament of your molded images of gold. You will throw them away as an unclean thing. You will say to them, get away. This hostility and militancy against all that is from this world against God will rise up within you. Unlike before. There will be no compromise. You will not only clean your house and your body of things that are not honoring to God, but you will also honor God in your choices and never invite anything. They will defile the temple of God, whose temple we are in our individual bodies and together as the family of God. We will rather defile the things that were defiling us. We will treat them as trash. Throw them out as an unclean thing. There are people who experienced revival. They went through their DVDs and they threw everything away. They said, Lord, we want to start over. We don't want the world stuff here. We're not loyal to you and to the world. It's impossible. We choose you, Lord. There are people who threw out their wine bottles. So I can't be like this and follow God and be holy. I'm a royal priesthood. There are people who said, Lord, I have things that seem to be permanently affixed to me. I don't know what to do. They sought the Lord and the Lord showed them how to handle that. It's all a question of saying, sincerely, Lord, I need your word and your spirit to guide me in everything. Lord, total overhaul. I want to end up in the hall of faith. I may have come at the last hour, Lord. But you said you can make me clean. You can make me a trophy of your grace for eternity. And Lord, I don't want to frustrate your grace. Be under delusion that it's going to all work out in the end, pan out somehow. But I realize I need to cooperate with your grace. I surrender. Jesus, Move into my house, my apartment, my heart, my body. Lord, you take lordship, Lord. Show me, Lord, what to do. Show me what to throw out from my life, Lord. I want to be a shining witness of your holiness. Because 
You said without holiness, no one, no one will see or enter the kingdom of God. And this is what we're going to come up on shortly in the next chapter in Hebrews. In Hebrews 12:14, Pursue peace with all people. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the children of God. Find ways to make peace, especially with the house of God, with people of God, and holiness without which no one will see the Lord, which means person won't enter heaven without holiness. A word will come next time you have a choice, a decision, how to spend your time, how to spend your treasure, how to spend your talent that God gave you, your functions, everything that God gave you. You'll hear a word behind you saying, this, this is the right way, right here. Come this way. Turn to the right or left. And you will trash that which God despises. Become holy and a faithful person, a champion of genuine faith. Praise be to God. Anyone else?